The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we'll read verses 19 all the way to 47 in the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. I, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that he that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If anyone, if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from the one, from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what the what he wrote how will you believe my words this is the word of the lord now where we join the story today uh, at the end of that long passage jesus has just healed a paralytic on the sabbath and he's in a lot of trouble for it with the pharisees and he's in this heated conversation with them about what it looks like to use the bible biblically and I want us to, to hear a bit of a case study, a bit of an example uh, of that. 
This is a, a short video clip, just about a minute by uh, a minute long, by John Piper from uh, Together for the Gospel, and uh, he's answering a question about whether the complementarian view or the egalitarian view seem, feeds uh, domestic abuse. Complementarianism would be a view of Scripture that says that God makes uh, distinctions between you know roles in the church and in the home, and the egalitarian view would say that that. Uh, um, in a nutshell, I think the egalitarian view would say that God does not make distinctions and that men uh, and women, uh, there shouldn't be distinctions between men and women in terms of roles in the church and in the home. And so the question, again, the question that John Piper is trying to answer in this video is whether uh, which view, the complementarian view or the egalitarian view, seems to feed abuse. So listen to his answer. Today we live in a, in an era where abuse is just a massive issue and complementarianism is being taken to task as feeding abuse. I think that is dead wrong. It's not complementarianism that is feeding abuse. It's the same old reason complementarianism was created in the first place. Complementarianism stood in the gap between abusive and dominating patriarchalism and egalitarianism over here. That's the way it was brought into being. It's not complementarianism. And, and here's one of the reasons that enables you to see that. Egalitarianism can only say to husbands who tend to be abusive, Christians shouldn't do that. You don't treat other people that way. But egalitarians can't say there is a unique call upon manhood to be protective, a unique call upon manhood to bear an unusual responsibility that that not happen in this relationship, because they don't want to give any, any unique responsibility to men that's rooted in their manhood. I think complementarians have the higher ground here when it comes to opposing abuse, because we not only say humans don't treat humans that way, but men don't treat women that way. It's written on your soul, man. You are a wicked, unmanly person if you do that. Complementarians, complementarians are the only people that can talk that way. And there are many such illustrations we could use, Ligon, to try to help people grasp that it's not only biblical, it's deeply rooted in who we are. It makes for beautiful and safe and flourishing relationships. And I wish we had hours to talk about yeah, I actually wish we had hours to talk about that too. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a lot that I, I love and, and agree with about John Piper, but I'd love for us to just be able to, I, I wish we could take a chunk of time and, and talk about it here ourselves, but just to, you know, get a sense of, make sure, just to make sure we, we understand what's just been said. You heard him say why, you know, you, you heard him explain why a complementarian shouldn't put his hands on a woman, right? The, the reason... I, well, from the complementarian view, why a, a person, why a man shouldn't put his hands on a woman, the reason is because that's not what a man does. The reason is is, is there's something in intrinsic to manhood that's not why you, that's not that's not what a man does. Now I don't know if you agree or if you disagree with that, but here's I guess I'd put the question to you this way: like if you were if you're a woman, what do you think? Like what do you want to hear? Do you want to hear? Uh, I'm over here on the one side, I'm about to lose my temper, but I know I need to get it under control because I'm a man. Or do you want to hear, 
I'm losing my temper, but I know I need to get it under control because that is not the way of Jesus. Which do you want to hear? Oh, interesting. Um, you know, so, so does what he said seem biblical? You know, from a certain perspective, yeah, it certainly, it certainly does sound biblical. And I, and again, I love John Piper. I've met him. I, I, we've had conversation before, even though he probably wouldn't remember me. But um, for, from, from his point of view, uh, it's, it, the reason a, a, you shouldn't put your hands on a woman, the reason domestic abuse, part of the reason domestic abuse is wrong is because that's not what a man does. There's something intrinsic to manhood that says that that's not right. And what I'm trying to say here, as I, as I review and as I sort of reflect on what he said, it's like, if a guy doesn't refuse to hit a woman because of Jesus, but he does refuse to hit her because of, like, manhood, that's not okay. That's not okay. Like, you can make the Bible agree with you, but that's, that's actually the wrong kind of biblical and, and and the thing is, like, I don't know if any of us would be able to say this to John Piper's face, would, you know, would be able to express that in conversation. But but if it goes unchallenged, this is a serious problem because, you know, he's John Piper, you know, and, 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 and also it's important because it sounds right and it sounds biblical and lots of people are going to agree. It's also important because, like, it's actually not until we step back and that and we evaluate what he's just said that we realize that his argument here puts something else above Jesus like there's a way to be biblical here in this case that we see isn't true it isn't helpful and and and, and we might not even know if we're if we're doing it and i know this it's this is a, a long uh, illustration but it's really important to see to show us that there is such a thing as the wrong kind of biblical all right Guys, there is such a thing as the wrong kind of biblical. And what we need to wrestle with today is how do we know which one we are? How do we know whether we're the right kind of biblical or the wrong kind of biblical? And I think that this passage from John 5 really gives that to us. And we're gonna, so we're going to answer that question uh, as we look at Jesus, as, he, as we watch him correcting the Pharisees. Because there are three really bad ideas the Pharisees have as they come against Jesus. One bad idea of theirs is that God is unknowable. The second is that Jesus is a fraud. The third is that it's enough to be, quote, biblical. All right? So we're going to watch Jesus as he corrects all three of those ideas. Now, the first bad idea Jesus corrects is that God is unknowable. Okay? From the Pharisees' perspective, God's will is a a mystery. It's It's hard to know and discern. And Jesus corrects that. And in this passage, uh, he names at least 10 ways that I could find that he shows that the Father and the Son are on the same team and that God's will actually is knowable. Like the Son, in verse 19, imitates the Father. In verse 20, the Father loves the Son. Uh, The Father lets the Son see what he's doing. The Son gives life to whom whom he wills, just like the Father does. The Father has given the Son the right to judge people. And so like on and on, there's all these examples, uh, you know, where we don't need to scour the scriptures in order to see what God thinks or to see what he's like. You know, we don't need to do that. We don't, there's no more going to the experts either. Like we don't need the Pharisees to step in and show us. Like actually, Jesus has made the Father known. God is knowable. Jesus knows him. They're on the same team. So if you want to know what God is like, 
we look at Jesus. There's a second really bad idea that the Pharisees have. It's that Jesus is a fraud, that Jesus is a fake. Um, and, and Jesus corrects that by naming some of the witnesses who show and testify that he is the son and that G- what Jesus says is actually true. And, and if we again, as we go to the passage, you could see in verses 30 to 38 the ways that these witnesses who, who show uh, that Jesus really actually is who he says he is. John the Baptist is one. He's a witness. Um, another, another witness is the actions of Jesus. Jesus' deeds, his actions are a witness. So it's not just talk. He's got actions to back it up, okay? Um, another witness is the Father himself. Uh, the Father who has spoken in His Word, and and you know if you if 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 what a teacher is saying is true, you should be able to expect to see it in Scripture. And Jesus is saying, yes, the Father has spoken, and it's right there in the Word. And so we actually have a test that we can use when a person makes a truth claim. Uh, you know, the first part of the test is: is there a reliable witness? Yep, for Jesus there is. It's John the Baptist. Second. Are there actions that back up the claim for Jesus? Yep, there sure are. His actions backed it up. And then third, is it, does it seem to be supported by Scripture? And Jesus is saying, yes, the Father has spoken in Scripture, verse 37. Third bad idea that the Pharisees had is that it's actually enough to be biblical. It's enough to be biblical. Um, their, their sort of point of view, their starting point is, we know the Bible better than anyone we're the experts here. And Jesus is saying, yeah, like I know that's, that's the problem. That's not the solution. Like you guys are actually the wrong kind of biblical. And, and you receive a certain kind of glory from people because you know the Bible and you teach the Bible. And you know, in conservative circles, you know what that's like. There is a certain glory for Bible teachers, right? Like I know, I know somebody uh, who, who is a friend of John Piper, who we heard from earlier. So, and he's actually told John Piper that I believe Piper is the fourth person of the Trinity, uh, which is quite an exaggeration. But, um, you know, it's important to recognize, like a teacher isn't right and, and orthodox and believable just because uh, he or she has a lot of shares or, or retweets or just because people know their name or because they've got a really big church or they've written books or even because they can quote the Bible. Jesus offers a new test. You see what it is? Look at verse 39. Do you know what the test is now? Now the test is Jesus. Jesus himself is the test. He says, you Pharisees, you pour over the scriptures because you think that you'll find all the answers there, but you don't realize that the answers it has been pointing you to all along are in me. You don't realize it's been pointing you to me all along. And if you were the right kind of biblical, you would have come to me and you would have had eternal life. And so friends, Jesus is the test. If something is true, you should expect it to lead us to put our faith and our hope in Jesus, not in a tradition, not in a system, not in some famous teacher. You know, you and I know, we, we both know that we can make scripture say just about anything if we want to. And there's going to be all kinds of people who agree. But the test isn't how many people agree with my idea. The test is whether or not my idea agrees with Jesus. So take a current example. Uh, At the beginning of this pandemic, I put together a a video and I put it up on YouTube arguing that coronavirus is not God's punishment for our sin. 
And I had a friend who, who, who a number of friends who, who got back to me and, and challenged me on that. But one in particular said, you know, Mike, I actually think that God is angry with us as a country because we've broken his laws. We have worshipped creation. We have practiced and celebrated abortion. We've redefined marriage. You know, and, and when you look at how God treated Israel in the Old Testament, it's not such a stretch to think that God is punishing us. It's like, it seems quite biblical, actually. And so why don't you think so? Now, I don't know how you'd answer that, uh, but you should be prepared to, because maybe your friends will, might ask you that question, or maybe your kids might ask you that question someday. But what I did is I drew attention to the words of Jesus. You know, Jesus said that when the, there was this tower of Siloam, it fell and it crushed 18 people. He's like, he, Jesus says, it's not like these guys were worse sinners than the rest of you. And in John 9, um, Jesus heals the blind man and everybody wants to know whose fault it is that this guy is blind. Is it his sin or is it his parents? And Jesus says it's not because he or his parents sinned. Um, and, and then the example of Jesus himself you know, you, you know that Jesus is sovereign. You know that he's coming back someday. He's going to judge. That's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that this is that. Okay, Jesus has shown us how he deals with his enemies. He would, he would rather die for his enemies than kill them. And, and that's, that's the end of the conversation. That's the end of the deal. You know, and it ended the conversation with this friend of mine. Not because I think he was persuaded, but I, I actually think it's because he, he thinks I've gone liberal, as though like I've stopped taking the Bible seriously. And, and just so you know, other, people are going to think that of you. If you make Jesus the central theme of scripture, if you do this crazy thing, like you, you, teach, you talk and live as though Jesus is the big idea of scripture, people are going to treat you like you're crazy, like you're a liberal. That's actually exactly how the Pharisees treated Jesus. He's, Jesus is like, if you knew how to read scripture the way it's meant to be read, you would have believed Moses. You'd know that it's about me and you would have come to me. And so, and to the Pharisees, that sounds absolutely ludicrous, liberal, crazy, except that it's true. It's true. Guys, it's true. And, and, and that's why I agree with Canadian theologian Brad Jerzak, who says, and I quote, at the end of the day, to be Christian is to understand God through the person, ministry, and message of Jesus. As the word made flesh, every other word, including the Old Testament authors and prophets and revelations of God, must bow to the living word when he came in person. Listen, guys, if, if, you, if, you, if you treat the Bible like a like a flat text without a center without a without a, a main without a plot without a focal point uh without a without again without a center you can make scripture say just about anything you can make it support just about any awful thing you know you know this you have seen people do it some of you have been hurt this way and and some of you if we're honest some of you have hurt others this way because we can make actually, we can actually make anything into a punishment from God, if if Jesus isn't the central theme of the Bible. You know, poverty we can say is a is a punishment from God. Unemployment and divorce could be punishments. We could say that cancer. We could say anything could be a punishment from God. We could also say any make anything. We could we could also justify things like 
that, that you and I know God isn't okay with, but from a certain point, by treating Scripture a certain way, we could make them permissible. Racism, slavery, sexism, violence. You, you can read Scripture in such a way as to, make, as to justify these things. You, know, you can do that if you want to, but that's the way the Pharisees. That is not the way of Jesus, who is the Word made flesh. Okay, Jesus is the word made flesh. He's the key. He is the lens and the center of scripture. He's the one who helps us make sense of every part of scripture. And so I'm not going to try to make part make make sense of any part of scripture apart from Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus helps me make sense of every part of scripture, and I'm not going to try to make sense of any part of scripture apart from him. And so I got a word for you today. I got to, you know, especially you kids, I've got a word for you. Listen, you can trust this book. You can trust this book. You never need to worry that the Bible is wrong. You never need to worry that God is trying to confuse you or mislead you. Like your, your interpretations, our interp- my interpretations can be wrong. I am wrong sometimes. Okay, I sometimes get it wrong, but Jesus never is wrong. And you're going to have questions and you're going to have doubts and objections. And that is okay because all of us do. You know, the Bible doesn't answer all our questions. But that's not what it's there for. But, but, but the Bible is how God is revealing himself and his plan to make all things new through Jesus. And like, that's a pretty big deal. You know, that's pretty great. And, and he invites us to join him in that plan. And he invites us as well to, to unlearn the bad ideas of the Pharisees. And so we know that God actually is knowable because Jesus has shown us. And we know that Jesus really is the real deal because Jesus has shown us that he is who he says he was. We, and we can, we can know actually that Jesus is what the Bible is about. Because he's shown us. And so he can, he can promise to you and to me, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, whoever believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for this beautiful ancient book that records and reveals your will and your plan for us. Thank you for listening.